Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Okay, so I'm just going to launch here. Quick prayer, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your truth. Just let me just be this vessel. And first of all, let me just say, a lot of what I'm going to talk about here today is from the book of John. And it's all over the place, different places, things that John wrote, it's all over the place. But of all the people in the Bible, there's lots of people I would like to meet and talk to, and I will at, at some point. John's going to be one of these really, really interesting guys. Because John was one of the three main guys, but he has all these different facets to who he is. He was one of the sons of thunder. He was a fisherman. And, and he, had a, he had an understanding of... Um, I say he was a fisherman. I mean, he was not. He wasn't educated, as far as I can understand. He just lived a normal, everyday life. He got up and he he worked with his brother James, and they had a partner Peter, and they worked with their with their dad Zebedee. Went fishing. That was their life. And then all of a sudden, it changed. I mean, he was a different guy. And even in the change, even though he, as he walked with God and he was this different guy, there were failings and there were up days and down days and, and, and curious days and things that, that, that God was working in this guy. So he's an amazing guy. And, there, and he's one of the two guys um, in the Bible, Moses being the other one, who wrote about the first things, the things that happened way before any of us were even... We're, they just know we're human beings there. He was talking about first things. Now, this is totally from God, but one of the things I'd like to ask him about is, how much of this did you understand? When you were writing this stuff, and he's given this stuff from God, like for Moses, it made absolutely no sense, the stuff when he was talking about how the, the, the days of creation, because that's not how he learned creation. He was brought up and educated in the ways of the Egyptians, that's not how they viewed uh, creation. But he got up and he, and he wrote this stuff down. And, and we, we see in, um, in John the same thing. He's, he also wrote in, his, uh, in, in the first chapter, he wrote, of course, he wrote John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote Revelation. Revelation is a pretty amazing book. It's a, it would be a hard thing to write down without any reference to, to your present reality. To, to write these things and say, no, wait a minute, this, this can't be right because I said this over here. In our, you know, there were these seven this and the vials and the this. How does this work? If his mind got in the way at all, he couldn't have done it. He just had to obediently write down what God said. He was a, there was, there's a verse, let me just look at this one, 1 John 3. Beloved, we now or beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we'll be like Him because he, we will see Him just as He is. Okay, we read this stuff and say, well, we'll be, we'll be like Him, and we'll be holy, and we'll be we'll have wisdom, and we'll, but that's not what He's talking about here. I, I was talking to, or I was actually not talking to him. I have talked to a physicist about this, but I was listening to a a tape by a physicist 
looking at this verse and what this meant in a metaphysical world of what it means to, we'll be, we'll be able to see him as he is because we'll be like him. And he was talking about dimensions and all these other things. And it's like the, if you had a, a flat two-dimensional world, you know, we are three-dimensional. We're actually more than that, but we're three-dimensional. We can see the two-dimensional world. We can see everything about him. We can understand all, all of this world. The two-dimensional world can't see us because we're, we have another dimension. You know, if, this is, if the stage, we have length and width, that's two dimensions. Creatures that live on this thing don't understand me standing here. And if I, at any point of contact that I have with this stage, they don't see me as I am because they're not like me. They only see, what, what they'll see is basically just a line where I intersect their plane of existence. And when we see Jesus and we tried to understand Jesus, John walked with him every day and Jesus says, you're trying to get me to explain to you heavenly things and you don't understand, you don't understand earthly things. John had a grasp of this stuff that was absolutely amazing. So he had this wisdom. He had this knowledge. He had this, there was this, um, uh, what, um, there's a temperament that he was, he was bold and strong, but yet he was also an amazing guy. He, called, he referred to himself as the beloved disciple. And you, and you kind of see this, you're swerving already. I'm not even on the first page and I'm swerving. We're in trouble. A marker, right? So it's going to be like this. You know, okay. So at the end of, the, at the end of Jesus' ministry, let's, I'll just give you an example that was just popping in my head. At the end of Jesus' ministry, we have, a, we have a situation where Peter denies Jesus, right? You know that? Okay. Peter's in a bad way. Peter, and Jesus had, had told him, he said, look, you're going to do this, okay? You're going to do this, but, I, but I'm praying for you, okay, that your faith is, will, will, will be strong, and that when you've recovered, not, not if, when, I want you to strengthen your brothers. I'm putting that on you, Peter, because I trust you. Okay, those are the words out of Jesus' mouth, but Peter was still messed up. He was just, I mean, and you would be. At the moment that, that, it, that is given to you to actually come through for the man who had come through for you forever, and he failed. So this is a hard thing for him to carry. So when Jesus rose from the dead, and the women saw him, and they went and they told the disciples, who were the two guys that ran to the tomb? Peter and John. Who went in? Peter did. Was John afraid to get there? He ran faster. He was younger, legs longer, I don't know what. He got there faster than Peter did. And he stopped. Was he afraid to go in? Afraid that he wouldn't see Jesus in there? Afraid that he would see Jesus in there? I don't think any of that was true. I think he waited for Peter. Why? Peter had some issues with Jesus. And you'll see that every appearance that Jesus made with the disciples, it was always with a crowd. And he, Peter couldn't get alone. 
with Jesus. And he wanted to. He was, it was a crushing need that he had. He wanted to get with Jesus again. And who knew that? None of the other disciples that we know, but John did, because John was a good friend. And John had this heart that he knew Peter's need. And he could try to talk him out of it, said, you don't need this. No, no. Remember, Jesus said this, forget about it, get over it, move on. But he didn't. He knew that he needed to be with Jesus. So Peter goes in, and of course he's not in there. You see the, the grave cloths, and he, they, they lost an opportunity. So you go on, and trust me, I didn't mean to talk about any of this stuff. But So he goes on, and it, at the, at the, you know, it says Peter gets to a point where the disciples, it mentions the disciples that are with him, and, and James and John, and um, I forget who, there were two others, I think, were with him. And Peter just said, I'm going fishing. And that, that is the voice of discouragement. Jesus is gone. He hasn't been with him. He doesn't know what to do. He's got to go back to what he knows. I'm going fishing. The disciples didn't say, no, you're not. You can't give up. They said, we'll go with you. So they're in the boat, and they're fishing, and all of a sudden, they see Jesus on the shore. And somebody, apparently Peter didn't see him, somebody whispers to Peter, it's the Lord. To Peter, not to anyone else, he said, he's nudging him, saying, that's Jesus, that's the Lord. He's on the shore, and he's by himself. So what does Peter do? He's in there. It's a hundred yards. It's a hundred yard swim. And Peter just got the water foaming because he's trying to get to Jesus. And when he gets there, I won't go into the whole rest of the story because it isn't really the point I'm making. Jesus has prepared their breakfast. He's got fish. They're out there fishing. So I already got some fish. There's some fish right here for you. Not only that, but I got the, they're, they're cooking. Here's some coals. Here's some hot coals. So Peter walks up there, and he's staring into the hot coals. What do you think he's thinking? What do you think Peter sees when he looks into the hot coals? What was the last time he looked at hot coals? What did he do? What had he done? Jesus brought him back to this place. And he tells him, look, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he goes into this whole thing. I'm tempted, but I'm not going to go there because I don't want to come and talk about The point I'm trying to make is, and then Jesus, Jesus had this thing with Peter, and it was all great. It was restored. But it was his friend John who kept understanding the need that Peter had. Whether John felt like he should have this need or not, he had the need. And his friend said he kept trying to get Jesus and Peter together because that's the only thing that's going to fix it. So, that's John. I love this. I love this guy. I love John. He's an amazingly intelligent man, speaks about things he has no understanding about, 
that speaks about it in a way. He's totally tuned into the Holy Spirit. So that's what I like about John. Okay. John is also, he's, he's also the one, if you look at his, his gospels, gospels as a, opposed to other gospels, and you've probably heard these things before, but he's, he's the one who recorded the I am statements. You ever heard that before? Okay. So I am, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. That's a metaphysical statement. What does that mean? You don't, you know, you mean you were. No, I'm, even that's weird, you know, to say you were. But to say I am, this was, a, this, was, this was something that Jesus was communicating about how he's outside. Even, even Jesus, physical Jesus, understands how he's outside of, of the reality that we see in front of us. And there, was, there, were, there were seven of these things. Jesus said, I'll give you the references if you want them, but he said, um, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. If you just look at those things of what Jesus said he is and find out what that means and we become like that, it's all you need to know. It's all we need to know about how we should live as Christians. And John somehow with the, with the Holy Spirit pulled this out and revealed this to us. John's an amazing guy. So let me go back to the first thing uh, in John 1.1 1, 1, and, and I'll just read this thing. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into, begin, into being through Him and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Okay. A few things about this thing that this, that this reveals. First of all, this is, no one ever, ever referred to Jesus as the Word until here. And now we know that Jesus existed long before, and he was the Word, the expression of the, of the will of God. In his in his um, in his former not former life his former former manifestation of his life I guess you could say so in the beginning was this thing the beginning of what it wasn't the beginning of God he had no beginning the beginning of everything we have to do with the only thing we have to con concern ourselves with the history of man on the earth. And this began, Moses talked about this beginning with the creation. So in the beginning, you know, God talks about all the, all, all the things that he created. And we, we don't even now understand all of that, <clears throat> all of what that is. In my opinion, there's, it, it was all, whether it's, whether it's you, know, you know, we know about our, our earth, we know about our solar system, we know about our galaxy. But there is, a, there is an order, there is a cosmos that stretches it to the end of the known system of life. And, he, and all of that has a balance, has an order to it. And all of that was made for man. When all that was done and, and God took and formed in, the, in the, the garden, he planted these trees and put the stuff all up, put, you know, he, and he put man in there. Everything, he, man was the culmination of all of it. It all has to do with us. And that's a hard thing for us to grasp. And we think, well, no, we're just the you know, there's, there, there's a, 
there's a thought on this planet that we're the ones who damage the planet, that we're the ones that, that man is the, is the evil thing. We're the, we're the disease that, that infects this planet, and without man, this planet would be wonderful. They, they're so wrong. They couldn't be more wrong. It's about us that God loves us. So in the world, in, uh, in the beginning was the Word. Then it says the Word, uh, oh, and by the way, there's another thing that this tells about. In the four Gospels, they all t tell a different aspect of who Jesus was, okay? So Matthew talks about Jesus as being the king. Mark talks about him being the servant. Uh, Luke is the son of man. John talks about him being the son of God. That's why it's that that the son of God aspect is what's, what's interesting. Okay, so in, in all of those things, they all have a sort of a genealogy of where Jesus came from. So in, in Matthew, it takes him back, if you read that genealogy, it goes back to David and, sh and shows his kingship because that's what he's talking about. In Luke, uh, the, the genealogy takes it all the way back to the beginning of to Adam because he's the son of man. And that's, so, so these, these are legal uh, positions for Jesus to be in. He had to be a man to, ha to have authority on the earth. He had to be a king to have authority in the kingdom that, that, that God is instituting here. So there's those gene genealogies. Then you have Mark. There's absolutely no genealogy at all because it's a, it's a, it's a subject, it's a discussion of his servanthood. And servants have no genealogy. They're in, they're, they, all of this that, that makes them significant has been laid aside. And Jesus was that servant. And now we have in John, he talks about the Son of God. So what's his genealogy? In the beginning, he was with God. It's, it, it's, just, it's just an amazing thing. Though. So, so we have the genealogies. And we, and we have also the beginnings of of a concept of covenant. Because when we think of covenant, we think of, well, yeah, there was, an Ab there was an Abrahamic covenant, there was a covenant with Moses, there was this covenant and that covenant. Covenant is God's nature. It was in the beginning that Jesus had a, had a covenant with the Father. The Word and God were in covenant. It says they were one. They were in covenant together. That's what that's talking about. The two becoming one. And, and with the Spirit, they were the three becoming one. And Jesus talks about that all the time. I and the Father are one. We're, I'm in covenant with him. What he thinks, I think. What he wants me to do, what I see him doing, I do. We're in covenant. So, so the covenant began at the beginning. And, and when it says the Word was with God and the Word was God, those, that's, a, that's a covenant thing. Okay. Here's an example. This is the, uh, examples always fall way, way, way short of trying to understand the things of God. But I heard it explained one time like this: It's you can have a glass of water, okay, and you can have a tea bag, and you put the tea bag in the glass of water, and you let it steep. You 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 know boil it or however the, you do the whatever the thing is with the, the tea gets in the water, right? Okay. So what happens when you take the tea bag out of the water, you throw the tea bag away, right? The tea is gone. But what do you have in your hand? You have tea. This really isn't tea. It's just that they've become so united together that you now refer to this glass of liquid as tea. 
And that's, that's how we're, we're so intertwined with, the, with God, with his thoughts and his wisdom and his power and his strength and all these things that he gives to us because we're in covenant with him that you can't separate us. The only thing that separates us from, from looking like and sounding like and being like God is right up in here, this little section right here. That's, that's where the blockage is. Of all of eternity and all the vastness of God to our heart is blocked by a little wall right here. And it's, it's just amazing. Jesus was amazed at it. There were two things that amazed Jesus. The, when the centurion said, you don't have to follow me because I'm a man under authority. I know how this thing works. He was amazed at his capacity with no understanding to be able to believe God. The other time he was amazed was when he was, when he was, when he was in his hometown and he couldn't do very many miracles there. This is Jesus. Could not do miracles there because of their unbelief because they thought they knew who Jesus was because they had their own blockage going on. And he was amazed at the ability of people not to believe God when he's standing right in front of them. Those are the only two things that ever amazed Jesus. And he's God. If you can amaze God, that's, you're doing something. Right? So, you know, God is the guy who, who, who can't learn because he knows everything. Right? So, um, so then basically what this comes, when it says the word was with God and the word was God, what you have is, with the T thing, is you say, the container of liquid, liquid was with tea, and the container of liquid was tea. So it's, it's, that, it's that close of, of a relationship. The other thing that you find just from that set of verses is that evil, raw, was from the beginning. Okay, Because it says... Um, Light shines in the darkness, and darkness did not com comprehend it. Darkness is the natural state. Wherever the light is introduced to something, it is automatically darkness. And God saw that in the beginning. That John's, John's uh, first verses here refer back to the way Moses was talking about. We've talked about it before, and I won't go there. The, the tobe and ra, the, the light and darkness, and that illustration of light and darkness has been all through, all through the Bible, the, the teaching. And you'll see it in, in John's writing here too. So, so, that, so um, it says, darkness did not understand the light, and, and evil began to prevail. Okay, so now I'm going to flip back and talk about um, God's solution to the evil. There were, there were three things. Actually, there were four things, okay? And, and they're going to relate, it's going to bring us back to who we are and how we're supposed to be used by God. Okay, the first one was um, Genesis 6, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time with these things, but it says the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. You know the story. The earth was filled with what? Violence. Violence is just an outflow of darkness, of man living in, dark, in, in a darkened state, Violence happens. Why do wars happen all the time? I always wonder about that. You know, there there are sometimes generations that 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 live between wars, but usually not very many, because it just takes a generation to forget, and then they just plunge right back into it because it's the nature of man to be warlike. 
And it's, it's, an, it's astonishing, you know, when you think about it, when you think, why not? Why wouldn't we all want to live in peace? There's some people who think that we can have that nirvana and live on the earth, but they don't understand there's a darkness on this earth. We can't outside of Jesus. And someday he'll come back and we'll have that. We will understand what it's like for a man to live for a thousand years and then beyond, but for a thousand years with no war, no thought of war, no understanding, no memory of war, not even being able to comprehend if someone told them a story about war, they, wouldn't, they would think this is just nuts. And they'd be right. But wars still happen because darkness just keeps happening. So God said the end of all flesh is here. I mean, this, said, this thing had just erupted so badly and so quickly. We don't know how quick. We don't really have a... We can't really gauge the time uh, other than the generations of, of the people. And so we have a pretty good idea <clears throat> wasn't very long. And he said, i got to just destroy this thing. God was just grieved. It, God was grieved that he had made man. So then he said to Moses, I mean to, to Noah, he said, make yourself what? An ark. Okay. Here's where, this is where it, it gets interesting. Okay. So the ark, the, the word for ark is the Hebrew word Where's John? You know what it is, John? <laughs> okay. Uh, where's Where's Taylor? I know he's he's another Hebrew scholar in here. What? Okay. It, it's Taba. The word Taba. And what does the word Taba mean? It just means a box. He says, "I want you to build a box." Okay, that's what the word means. Okay, so, and he gives them all the instructions of how, of how to build this thing. And I don't want to, you know, dwell on this either. There's a bunch of things I don't want to dwell on in this thing. Could be here a long time. But it's actually used 25 times. The word teba is used 25 times. And I'll tell you in a minute what a couple of those other places were. But there were, there were other words, Hebrew words, that make this interesting because this, this is a picture of something that God is even back, even then. He, with the language, he's, he's painting a picture for us. And he says, build this box, and I want you to pitch it with pitch. Okay? Pitch it with pitch. There's a, there's a verb and a noun. I want you to pitch it with pitch. The verb is the word, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce these right, kafar. Okay? What is the word kafar? You know these words? No? Kafar? It's pitch? Okay. You know what it means? Okay. I'm going to stop asking you because you're, you're, <laughs> you're embarrassing yourself. Okay. <laughs> okay, so kafar means to cover. I mean, that's simple. It says, you, I want you to cover with pitch, and that's what it's translated. But there's another nuance of the word that means to appease, to cover, to, to appease, to cover over. So I want you to cover it over inside and out with, with the verb pitch, which is kofer, and that means atonement. I want you to cover this thing inside and out with atonement, the ransom price, the redemption because that's what these guys, my people, are hidden inside of. 
during the time of this storm. That's, that is a picture of what Jesus will be. This was, the, this was a covenant box, a box of protection. And protection from what? I mean, we go there too, but if you, if you think about that we had a nice rainstorm for a few days, mm-mm. I mean, the, the, the earth split open and the fountains from the deep came up, this boiling froth of just, just horrible stuff. And if you think, I, 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 did, I, I didn't look this up, but I, I did it one time, I did, a, I, I did a study and looked up how, how much rain actually fell in that period of time. In the, you know, we would consider, if we have a torrential rainfall, What's what's a torrential rainfall? You get uh, you know, an inch an hour, something like that, five inches an hour, whatever it is. I mean, how torrential you want to get? It's nothing compared to this. This the rain that came down during this flood was like standing under Niagara Falls. The volume of water that was coming down. It wasn't all water that came down. It was water that was coming up from from below. But think of the turbulence that their little box was in, you know, that they were going through this. They're not just riding a nice little ocean wave. This was a horrible event, and they're inside, and they hear this thing, and the, and the chatter, and, the, and, you know, before they're even starting to hear the voices of the people crying and wailing outside, and then they're just, they're just thrust into this thing, and you think, is this just going to be our life? And, and it's, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible event that God was illustrating his, the judgment of this darkness that was on the earth. And there, and them being hidden inside of this thing was just, I mean, it, it, was, it was a phenomenal thing, okay? So, but that box was a, was a picture of Jesus. The, uh, in, again, John, chapter 5, 39, says, you search the scripture, talking to, to the Pharisees, it says, you, script, you search the scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it's these, it's those scriptures that you're looking for that testify about me. And almost everything, all these little illustrations, they're all pictures of who Jesus was and who he's going to be for us when it's all said and done. And, the, and it just went right past him. Okay, so I said that we were going to talk, that the word uh, ark, teba, was used uh, 25 times. There's actually two places, two different places besides Noah's ark, that that uh, they use the word ark. Anybody know what they are? Ark of the Covenant. Thanks, Dylan, for saying the obvious one. <laughs> what else? Anybody have any idea? The rainbow. Yeah, it's it was an ark, but it was a different it was a different spelling and a different reference. There's a different word for it, but 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 um, but that's a, that's good. Because it was the Ark of Promise, but the the Ark, as in the box, there was another one, and it was we don't know it because it was never it was never um, translated as Ark, but it it takes place in Exodus two, and that's when uh, um, Moses was put in the wicker basket and put in the um, the river. <clears throat> okay, the wicker basket. We call it a wicker basket because it was made of, of uh, reeds, and we think of a box that's made of reeds, we think of it's wicker. We think of wicker basket, but that's not what it's supposed to be. It was supposed to be a box, an ark made of bulrushes. Okay? 
So Moses was put into an ark of safety, and it was supposed to be pitched inside and out. And it was, and and, um, <clears throat> and so the bulrushes, um, the the word what we would consider the reeds that it was made of woven weeds was comes from a word. Uh, Gom, I think is how you pronounce it, and it's from the word gamma, which means to absorb. So once again, we have a picture of God absorbing judgment for the person who's, who he's rescuing here inside. This time, it's not God's judgment. This time, it was the Pharaoh's judgment. It was the judgment of man, and God still is our ark of protection. Okay? So that's another picture of, of Jesus. And I'm... <clears throat> Again, there's so much more we could we go into just those things. But let's let's flip forward and we talk about the other ark that you that you mentioned was um, in Exodus 25, uh, verse 10 says you'll you will construct an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, and it goes into all the measurements and how he's going to build this ark. But there's an interesting thing about um, about that word, and it's a different word. They don't use the same uh, teba. It's not what they use. It's a different word, but it's translated ark. Okay? And that word is, ar- I don't know how you, spell it, how you say it, A-W-R-O, an aron, something like that. That was the word that they used for this ark. Okay? And there's significance in that word. There's no mistaking. There's, there's no accidental words. We translate things really strangely sometimes. But the, but the original Hebrew word, they meant what they said. They were specific words. So, so they're going to build this ark, in, uh, uh, ark of the covenant, and I won't, again, take the time to go through all of the, um, the descriptions, but one of the things I will say, well, okay, it wasn't pitched, right? It wasn't going to go through uh, the kind of, Judgment and the and the the water always represents judgment. It wasn't going to go through those things. It was going to be elevated a different way. It was going to be they had to put rings through it and poles through the rings, and people were going to carry it. It was going to be carried by man, carried by priesthood. Okay, this is a different kind of an ark. And they carried this thing around, and it says that every place every place they went with this ark, God went before them. And they were victorious in battle, and God blessed them in, in, in all the things that they were doing as long as they were obedient, and they carried this ark in front of them. They were good. Okay? So the word uh, that's translated ark is a, is a whole different word. It's actually used, I think I get this number right, 174 times. That word is used 174 times. And in each one of those 174 times that it uses that word, it's referring to this Ark of the Covenant. But there's only one other time that, it, that the word is used, and, it, and it's, used in a, in a, uh, it's used in a verse that tells us a closer idea of what the meaning of that word really is. And uh, I don't know, um, Mati, can you put a verse up? I didn't tell him ahead of time. We'll, we'll test his skills. <laughs> Genesis 50, verse 26. Okay, so um, the, the let me just say what okay, he's got it already. Never mind. I won't say it. Genesis twenty fifty twenty six. So Joseph died at the age of hundred and ten years 
and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Anybody see a word up there that you think may have been the word translated ark? Coffin. What the children of Israel didn't realize, they didn't understand, was all the time they were walking around in the, in the wilderness carrying this thing on poles around through the, the wilderness. They were carrying a coffin. What the, what the Hebrew word actually means, coffin. You're going to build a coffin. So why did they use that word? Why not just use the other word? Not, why not just say tibah? It's because there's, there is a special meaning. And it makes more sense to us when we realize what was inside of the ark. Okay? Remember, who can say what were the things were that were in the ark? Okay. You have to talk louder because my microphone's not picking. <laughs> the, uh, it's Aaron's rod that budded. Okay? The Ten Commandments and what else? The, the jar man. Actually, it was, a, it was a jar that was made of gold. So those three things, um, we have... Okay, so you know the story of the, of the manna. You know, they, they're, they're going along. They want to be fed. God, so God sends this. It's like a dew that when the dew evaporates, it, it leaves this sort of a flaky kind of a, of a film on things that they can collect it, they can boil it, they can bake it, they can make, you know, some oils out of it or whatever. And that's called manna. And <clears throat> but you know one of the properties of manna was you had to collect only what you used, right? For each day. Why? Because it would just you just get putrid. It would just, just you know, if you tried to save it for the next day, except for on the the day uh, uh, when they when they had to save on the seventh day, save for the seventh day, it miraculously was preserved. But but in most cases, it was it wouldn't it would just rot. It was just it would just rot so easily. I mean, to the point of worms in it. It said, you know, in a day's time, in twenty four hours. So, but then God told Moses, He said, I want you to take some of this stuff, and I want you to put it in this gold jar. I want you to put that jar in the ark. And then, and then they carried that around this, in the wilderness, in this hot wilderness desert place for all the time until they brought it into the temple. And that manna was still intact. It didn't rot. For all those years, in the desert, it stayed. So what is that a picture of? Anybody have an idea? Okay, say it louder because I can't. Preservation, right. It, manna was the most perishable stuff that they'd ever encountered. Gold was the least perishable thing that they understood. Gold would last forever. It was incorruptible. If it was, if it was, if you, if you um, got all the corrupt stuff out of it as you're making it, what you have left is incorruptible. So you have the corruptible put inside of the incorruptible and it lasted forever. And, you know, there's, where's the verse? It is 1 Corinthians 15, 53. This perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal 
must put on immortality. That's a human being coming into covenant with God, putting on the imperishable. And what's the agent for that for that uh, covenant? Jesus. That jar, that golden jar of manna with with uh, with this corruptible stuff that was preserved forever. It's a picture of Jesus. Okay, it's also a picture. You know, Jesus later in his ministry said the 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 I am's. He said, "I'm the bread of life." He says, "You guys ate bread in the wilderness. My father gave you wilderness, and they all died. Your fathers, they all died. I'm going to give you bread. If you eat this, you're going to live forever." And he said, "I am the bread of life." It's one of the I am's. <clears throat> so then you have Aaron's rod, which budded. And Aaron was, he was of the tribe of, of um, Levi. And there was a time back in the wilderness where there was a thing called Korah's Rebellion. And they were just, decided, they, were, they were kind of like, they thought, okay, you're, you're a Levite, we're Levites. What makes you think you're better than us? And there was this dispute that came up of who was, of who was to be better, who was to be the real priesthood. And <clears throat> God settled it, and it was a really bad day for Korah. And, uh, and his family. And he said, uh, and, and the children of Israel then became disturbed that God had destroyed Korah. And he said it was Aaron's fault. And God said, okay, I'll tell Moses, I'll tell, tell them all from each of the 12 tribes, each take the, a rod and, and bring it before, and, and we'll, just, we'll let God determine using those rods, and then Sir Aaron's rod budded. You know that story. So, that, so they took that. It was a miraculous thing. And not only budded, blossomed. It took something that was dead and brought life to it. And he put it in the, that's one of the things that was put in this, uh, in this, in this box, in this, tib- or in this uh, what's the word, not, uh, not Tiba. Anyway, the ark. Okay, then the other thing was the covenants. This was what this was a result of Moses going up on the mountain, coming back with the word of God, the wisdom of God. This is this is the covenant things. This is this is what you want. And when God, when He came down, and when they, when they created this uh, the ark, God says, "I want you to put in it. It's called the ark of the testimony, because I want you to put in it the things I'm going to tell you." And so, what was put in it wasn't just the Ten Commandments; it was the wisdom of God. It was the first five books of the Bible, as Moses wrote them. He put them in this box. Okay. So, oh, forgot to say, the Aaron's rod, the bud, it was like a shepherd's rod, okay? And Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, another I am, right? And then we have the, the table of, of uh, covenant, and that, that has to do with revelation of, of God's word, of truth. And Jesus, and it says that, that the word was made flesh. So within those, those three things, all representations of Jesus, we have the manna was provision, the rod was protection, the shepherd's rod was protection, and the table of the covenants was revelation. These are the three things that we get as covenant members. As being in covenant with God, he gives us provision, protection, and wisdom, revelation. What we get, what we're supposed to give him are two things. You should all know this now, right? What are the two things that we're responsible to do? As trust and obey. That's our deal. God says, you do that, and I will, I will provide, protect, and give you wisdom. 
and he's always been good with, for his, on, on his end of the promise. Okay, <clears throat> so the children of Israel, um, oh, and by the way, we sang this song today. They said, I, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. This, that's, that was, when you boil it all down to all the I am's, that was what was represented in this, in this box, in the ark, because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. The way is, uh, is the shepherd's staff. I'm the way, I'm the truth. It was the covenant, the, the Ten Commandments, and I'm the life. It was the bread, the provision. So what they carried around in this coffin was, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. They carried Jesus the death of Jesus, or representation of the death of Jesus in a box, and everywhere they went, they had victory. So this, those, are, those are amazing things. But what do we do with that? What are, we, what are we supposed to do with that? Okay, so this is not a John thing, but it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, it says, For God who said, Light shine out of darkness, is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Okay, now here's where it gets interesting. Because, well, let me just read it. It says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness and the power of God or, or and the power will be of God and not from ourselves. There is this, this light, the thing that, that just that dissipates darkness, that brings life into death, that brings order into chaos, is inside of us. We carry this around. We are the new ark of the covenant. There are all these arks in the Old Testament were pointing to us. We are the ark that walks around. And when we walk around, God's favor and light and wisdom and protection and provision goes before us if we recognize what we carry inside of us. Not the preachers, not the pastors, not the evangelists. Now, all those things are gifts to the church. But it's the church that has all this stuff. If you're in covenant with God, and you are, you, you, you have this, okay? So we're an amazing kind of an ark. Okay, so I want to read this further. He explains... In their condition, he says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. He didn't take us out of the world. We're in the world. In this world, we have trouble. But we're not defeated. Okay? Perplexed. Have you ever been perplexed? Have you ever been something where you just say, I just don't get this. I don't understand it. What is going on? But not despairing. How many, how many people have you ever met who became perplexed and the next step was despair? happens all the time in a world of darkness. Okay. Um, persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. And this is the interesting thing in verse 10. It says, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. We are the ark that carries within it the dying of Jesus, just like they did in the Ark of the Covenant so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. Okay, so let me just, just stop that. Stop right there. We are, we're the arcs. We're the arcs of the covenant. The new ark, there's, there's not a, 
there's not a Greek or Hebrew or Latin word to refers to it other than we're just these vessels. And, you know, just so you don't think too highly of yourself, these vessels are made of clay. <laughs> okay? And the idea is we, we have to be, we have to show a little humility because no matter how wise, how strong, how whatever we are, it's of God. It's, it's God working in us. The only thing that's, that's good in any of us is God working in us. So, see where I want to go with this. Um, let me go back to, I would just want to say that I, I, this goes without saying, I know, but and, and I wrote this down because I just, I constantly want to remind myself of this. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all who dwell in it. We, it's not just the church who belongs to God. They're all his. They're all his. And he loves them. Just like he loves us. Just like he loves us. We haven't earned any more cookies. You know. <laughs> we're, not, we're not any better. We're just the vessels. But vessels that are important. If God's going to speak something, he, he uses this. If he's going to speak on this planet, he uses a human mouth. That's the way he set it up. But guess who else has access to this? That's what Judd was talking about. Somebody else has access to this, to these tongues, this mouth. And David says, put a guard on my lips. Am I going to let the devil use this mouth to say the things that are not God's will to fulfill, to come into agreement with something that will, you know, that's why James, James says, the, the tongue is a fire, and it sets on fire the course of our life. What we speak has power. Not because of us, we're, the, we're just vessels. Okay? So, and by the way, the vessels, this is another one. There's all these intertwining things. The Ark of the Covenant said it wasn't, it wasn't pitched inside and out with pitch. What was it covered with? Gold. So you had wood. The natural thing covered inside and out with gold. Wood and gold. The gold is the thing you sh that you see. We're wood covered with gold. When we go out there, it should be gold is the thing that people see. You know, it was it was <clears throat> it was Jesus that was when Jesus calmed the storm, it was wood that fell asleep. It was gold that calmed the storm. And, and you see this all through this whole thing, the wood and gold, the wood and gold, the wood and gold in the life of Jesus. We're wood and gold. We're these, we're, we are these vessels that are earthen, but we have a covering of gold because of this covenant. It's, you can't go deep enough with this stuff. Okay, so, um, so God owns all this thing. I remember when, when, you know, years ago, when I was first a Christian, people used to say, it was popular to say that that Adam committed high treason and he turned over the, the, the um, ownership of the world to Satan. That's totally not true. The, God has never given up any part, not one inch of the earth and all it contains. It's his. It belongs to him. The only thing he ever gave to anybody, the only piece of land he gave him was, was Israel. And that's in dispute right now with some people. I don't know why. 
Not only did God give it to them, but they actually paid for it in, in addition to that. So should be indisputable. So, okay, so now that, that leads me to this thing in John 3, another one of the John verses. And Dylan and I, I think, I think we were talking about this earlier, because this, this is another one that just is in my mind all the time. So it says, that, For God so loved the world, 316, so familiar to everybody, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What the word, this is again, they, they could choose what word they want to use, and they choose carefully. God, when I say they, the Holy Spirit chooses, and these people will be able to write this down. Why didn't he just say God loved man so much? Why did he say God loved the world? Why didn't he just say, I mean, it's what it boiled down to, God loves man, and that's the truth. But this says world, and what is the word, what, what is the word that's translated world? Does anybody know that one? Who said that? He said cosmos? That's, that's right, cosmos. What's the cosmos mean? The creation is the cosmos literally means order. For God so loved the order that he instituted on this planet, on this creation. And he so hates the disorder and the disruption and the things that have, that have turned God's good thing into raw. He said, for God so loved this order that enabled man to walk in fellowship with him. That's why he sent his son to die. Because there was a disruption to this order. There was an order to things. And the cosmos is already, it's just going on like it was supposed to be from the beginning, from the creation. The only thing that's been disrupted is man. Because we have this, this, this willful thing in us. Okay, so, um, let me think. Oh, I want to go. Okay, so, so we, have, we have within us, we're vessels, right? And we have within us this treasure. This light that brings light to darkness. Why don't we show it all the time? Why are we not? If it's in there, the Ark of the Covenant had it had all those things that were in the Ark. Every place they carried it, they were victorious. It changed. People were in fear. God went before them. Why, are we, if we're this Ark, why do we not show this everywhere we go? Because there's sometimes the things that we put in containers. If you put the little container on the shelf and you don't do anything for a while, some of this stuff settles, right? Some of it settles so much that we, every morning almost, Amy makes green tea and I put honey in it. And sometimes I don't get to the tea because I'm off doing other things and I come back in the evening and the cup of tea is still there with the honey in it. Only where's the honey? It's all the way at the bottom. All the sweet stuff, all the good tasting stuff, that's all at the bottom. So what do I have to do? Stir it up. You've got to stir it up sometimes. I know, you know, when we're worshiping here or on Wednesday nights or something, this is where this, this idea originally began that Roy said I should expand this, and this is the expansion of this, this one idea, was we've got to stir ourselves up. Because when I'm sitting here and I'm worshiping, I'm feeling and sensing something totally different than I am when I'm out there in the world. And you come in here and you just you open yourself up to it because something gets stirred inside of us. 
and this is a principle that's all through all through life. You have, um, you know, you look at uh, okay, look at the story of Jairus. <clears throat> Jairus was shaken because his daughter was dying. Okay, how many know there's there's things that happen in our life that shakes us up? Satan shakes us up. Jesus stirs us up. In the world, if you have a, if you have a, a somebody who's totally shaken up, what do they do? What's the, what's the doctor probably going to recommend or, or or whatever? What? No. <laughs> That's in the movies, Bob. Come on, Bob. I always wanted to see somebody shaking them just so I could do that sometime. But anyway, they give them a sedative. Calm yourself down. Let me just give you this drug. You know, you'll, you'll go to sleep. You'll feel better. What did Jesus do? He stirred them up. He didn't let them get calmed down because they were all shaken. He stirred them up. Fear shakes people up. Faith stirs something up inside of us. So Jairus, you know, he's, a, he, he's, he's shaken up. And Jesus says, come on, we'll go, we'll go. So he starts, to, he starts to, to feel stirred because we're going, we're on our way. And then, you come, you know, again, I can't tell this whole story, but you got this woman with the issue of blood who comes, who's been, had an issue of blood for 12 years, right? 12 years. So Jesus stops. Jairus is not crazy about stopping right now because we're on our way. My daughter's dying. Remember, Jesus, our mission, come on, let's go. But he stops and turns around and says, hey, somebody touch me. What? I mean, I felt virtue go out of me. That's awesome, says Jairus. Let's go. <laughs> Leave your virtue. Let's go. You got enough left for me because we're on a, a mission. And so Jesus doesn't, not, not only heals her, not only allows her to be healed, he starts asking her questions. And it says, first she's afraid because, you know, she was afraid to touch, the, touch his garment. But so she's stirred up and he's, he's I mean, she's... Uh, She's, what's the word I want to say? Not stirred, um, shaken. And he's stirring her up and saying, look, it's your faith that's made you well. So, 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 so tell me what happened. So she says, it says in the Bible, she told him everything. 12 years worth of, then I went to this doctor. Oh, and you wouldn't believe. He, he charged me this much. And you know what? He's just a blah, 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 blah. On and on. You can imagine a little Jewish woman. Oh, the pain, you can't imagine the pain. You know, and it just goes on and on and on. And Jairus is like, oh. Jairus is like, okay, fine. We, we get it. You know, you, you spent a lot. Bless your heart. Let's go. My daughter, remember? What does Jesus do? He sees this happening. He sees he's getting more and more shaken, more and more shaken all the time. And then the the guys come from his house and says, hey, what's, what, what word did they use? Don't bother him anymore. She's dead. So now it's like he's just exploding inside. What does Jesus do? He ignores them. And he turns to Jairus and he says, I picture him grabbing him by the shoulders and saying, Jairus, stop being Afraid. Now, who wouldn't be afraid? But he's saying, "Look, you got this. Is how this works. Trust me. Stop being afraid. 
And then the next two words were amazing. Two words. Remember what they were? Only believe. Don't believe this and then you believe that and don't just believe. Stop being afraid. Stop all the other noise and the nonsense. Just believe. It stirred up something. Stirred up faith in him because he was shaken. So what do you do when something's shaken? You stir it up. And that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus, I mean, I could go example after example. It's what Jesus did. He stirred people up. He didn't calm them down. Okay? So we have this verse, um, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in earthen vessels, so that what? The surpassing greatness of the power of God will be in us, and we'll know that it's not from God. That's, look at that verse, read it. The surpassing greatness of the power of God is in these vessels. It's in us, whether we feel it or not, whether it looks like it or not. It's there, it's in us. But we sometimes have to stir that up to see it, right? Um, Second Timothy. Let's see how much I'm almost done here. I think, yeah. Second Timothy, chapter one. This is Paul talking about Timothy, and he says some things about Timothy. He knows some. He knows that that Timothy is a man of faith, but he also knows that lately he doesn't look like a man of faith because of what he's writing here. We can kind of surmise that he says. He says, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you. I know you have faith in you. I know it. He knew it because he had laid hands on him for, the, for that faith, and he had seen that, that going. So, so he said, I know that, about that faith, which first dwelt in your grandmother and in your mother, Eunice, and I'm sure that it's in you. For this reason, I remind you to do what? To stir it up. A kindle afresh, stir up, stroke, stoke the embers of the gift of God that's, that was in you ever since I laid my hands on you. You've got to stir it up. It being in there doesn't matter if you don't stir it up. And it's faith that stirs this up. Another one. That's you stirring yourself up. Another one. Let's hold fast to the confession of our hope. This is Hebrews 10 without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate each other to love and good deeds. Stir each other up to love and good deeds, for not forsaking the assembling as is a habit, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day grows closer. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. It's his it's his desire to bring restoration every place he can. The, the way he did that in the Old Testament, first it was destroy the earth and save the few. Then it was, was create a kingdom and bring them into a promised land and let the ark go before them. And now it's, I'm, I have a bunch of arks that need to go out because there's a people that, that, are, that are living in, in darkness out there. I'm going to close. This is the Son of God, another John verse. It says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. How does it do that? Us. And it, 
when I think about Judd was talking about uh, about the unity. There is power in unity. There really is. God, God took notice of it. God in heaven looked down and saw these people are together. There's some power going on here, and we need to we need to have this too. So in our in our stirring up each other, and in our stirring up the people out there, we have to do do it in this way with humility because we have to recognize the surpassing greatness of this power that's in us is of God we're just the vessels but we've got to stir it up and, we, and we've got to present it I can be right Someone, um, I'm not the Bible scholar that people that say that I am I can pretend pretty good <laughs> And I can win an argument, but you know it's you know it's frustrating to me. I can win it on either side, almost scripturally. It frustrates me, especially when I'm arguing with myself. When I'm trying to make a decision, I'll say, "Oh, the word says, thus saith the Lord." But on the other hand, the word says this, and I can argue this. I can probably fairly, fairly successfully argue scripture. I can be right but I would rather be light. And there's a big difference in this. Be right while you're being light. But, but, we're, but we're called to be something for those people, and it doesn't do us any good to walk out there and walk away with a bunch of closed doors and closed minds because we've trampled on them with our knowledge. Be humble. God has a problem with pride. I'm, trust me, God has a problem with pride. And there is pride in the church. There's pride in all, all over the place in the world, but there's pride in the church. God made a list one time of, of seven things that he hated. You know what was the first one? How proud he looked. Quit being so proud. God said he took the children of Israel and he, he took them through and fed the man and took them through, just, just stripped them of, any, of everything. They had to trust God or die. And he said, the reason I did that is because you're going to go into a land where it's going to be awesome. But I want you to always remember that whatever there is in there, it comes from me. It's not the strength of your hand. You didn't do this. It's because you're in covenant with me and I love you. Now here's the verse that I want to finish with. And this just, this just carries on from where we started in chapter 1. Uh, Light shines in the darkness, John 1, 5, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. But then we go on to verse 6, and here's what I want to close. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about John the Baptist. And it says he came to testify about the light. But then he makes a stipulation. He says, and so, all, so that all might believe through him. And it says... He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. John understood this distinction. We're not light. We're in covenant with light. We have light inside of us. We have, we have power and amazing things. I 
I said I was going to close with it, but I think I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to do one more thing too. I'm going to do one more verse. I'm sorry, I lied. <laughs> this is John 17, when Jesus was about to die, when he left the the upper room, and he was going to die. Moments from going into the garden, what did he do? That you find in John 17. He lifted his eyes and he prayed. This is the last thing that God wanted to leave us with, that Jesus wanted to leave us with. You got to listen to what he's saying. And I would challenge you each to, to go home. I'm not going to read this whole thing. I'm going to read a little part of it, tiny part of it. But go home and read that whole prayer. This is a prayer that Jesus is praying for you and me. Do you think that carries weight? It does. There's amazing, some amazing things about it. When he says, if it's the last thing you're going to say, I, I told this story before. It's not a long story, but indicator of church that Amy and I used to go to years and years ago, there was a pastor who was leaving, and we were waiting for to see what his final word was, his final impartation to his congregation, to his flock. What is he going to say? And he started giving us, and, and tell the next guy that that door is kind of tricky, and he's got to pull this thing shut, and he's got, he goes into all this stuff, and we're thinking, what? This is what you want, this is what you want to leave us with. No, Jesus had some other things he wanted to leave us with. He could have asked God, bring them power, let them see the power, let them this, that, or whatever. But listen to what he says, because this is powerful. I understand, okay, this is power, and I'm going to put it in context here. Remember, we're vessels, we're arcs of protection. We carry the covenant with us. We're instruments of hope and truth and redemption to a dying, confused, frightened, angry, darkened world who don't know any better, but people who God happens to love. All those guys out there. And this is what Jesus says, beginning in verse 13. He says, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have joy made full in themselves. We're supposed to be walking around with joy. That's what Jesus desired for us, okay? I have given you, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Why didn't he not want to take them out of the world? Because he loves the world too. And we're the, we are supposed to be the instruments of that, that, that love. We're supposed to be the ones that, we're the ambassadors. It's just like God is pleading, be reconciled. Because I love you guys. And that's why he said, I left, I left them here. I don't want to take them out of the world. Just protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And then here's the power. Here's the power punch right here. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. 
How did, how did God send Jesus into the world? He had a ministry. If you read about it in Luke chapter, I don't know what it is, four, five, or six, or something like that. I think I, I'm going to read that off of here because I was looking at it earlier. Um, okay. So when he entered, Jesus entered the synagogue in the beginning of his ministry, Luke chapter 4. He took the book, the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, he opened it up and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You could recite this yourselves. Because this has to do with who you are, who we are. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he's anointed me. Anointed just means, it's not some fluffy word that we throw around a lot. It means we've been given the authority to carry out an assignment. That's what this anointing means. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim uh, release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set free those who are, who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. When Jesus said, just like you sent me in here, I'm sending them. That's what they're supposed to do. It's going to be great. I want their life to be great. But they got something. There's a reason why we're all still here. And why Jesus didn't just take us on to be with him. Because he wants that too. But he also loves the world. <clears throat> it says, for, that, for their sakes I sanctify myself. That means I set myself apart. I, you know, I like fishing. But... I didn't spend my time fishing. I spent my time in the, with the multitudes. I wanted to get along alone by myself after I found out about my cousin John who died, who was beheaded. It was horrible. I felt horrible. I wanted to be alone. But I saw some people who were in trouble. And I set myself aside in humility. And I went to minister to them. And that's what he's talking about over and over again. I sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. Set apart for something. We're here because we're set apart for something. And then it says, I don't ask on their behalf, on these alone, the disciples, but on those who believe in me through their word. Okay, now listen carefully. That they may all be one. The church is not one. They're not one. We're building a bunch of different kingdoms all over the place. But I'm telling you something. I'm telling you. There are things that are being broken. I believe it in the church. I believe it because of some things that I've seen in the past uh, several weeks or months. That those walls of separation between all the different denominations and all the different churches and among the, the people within a church, they're coming down. They have to come down. Because we need to be united, like, like what Judd was talking about. We need that unity. And we sometimes are going to have to, in order to achieve this, and I'm not saying we should be you know, ecumenical and just all, all you know, agree to whatever, but, but there, are, there are areas that we don't have to be to in total agreement with because there are areas that are, that are murky that we don't really understand, that this person has some truth and this person has some truth. 
And I'm not saying there isn't one specific truth, but I'm saying it's not worth losing the soul over those things because God loves the world. Do you think that Jesus walked around and couldn't have just crushed everyone with his words? He wanted, he wanted people to be together. And so he said, so now listen to this. He said that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's covenant unity. Two or one. And that's a pretty awesome thing. But when you consider that Jesus was inviting, he said, this is what I want, Father, just like we're in this covenant relationship, that everything I did, everything I said, what came from you, that's what I want for these guys. They have to understand that they're one with us, Father. We've been elevated to a, to a covenant with the King of Kings. That's, I can't express that strong enough. That they also may be in us, so that, what? The bottom line, the world may believe that you sent me. There's purpose. He loves us, but there's purpose in us being here. So, when I think about this verse, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's a, that's a verse that's always been ever since I've been a Christian. Always, always in there. It's always in there. I'm always thinking of it. There's a man sent from God and God knew his name. His name was John. And he came to testify of the light. He wasn't the light, but he came to testify. We could all say that. We just could. We could all say it. There was a man sent from God whose name was Dylan. And he was sent over there to these people over here or those people or whatever. There was a man sent from God whose name was Bob. What are you going to do with that, Bob? There, there was a woman sent from God. Her name is Amy. Everybody's going to want to know if I'm going to call their name. <laughs> Put your name in there. We're the men and women sent from God to come, and we're here to bear witness of the light. Better to be light than to be right. And that's where unity has to begin with that understanding. We're like a giant, I, I told uh, somebody, the church is like a giant centrifuge. You know what that is? You know what a centrifuge is? This big, this big whirling spinning thing. And depending on where you get dropped into this thing, you find yourself flowing against the wall and you stick there. The truth is in the middle. But you have this bunch of people you know, stuck to the wall over here. And those people stuck to the wall over there. And those people are stuck to the wall over there. And they never get to the center. Because they just think they, they have the truth. We're in the, we are, we're in the centrifuge. So we have the truth. You've got to doubt your own infallibility a little bit. You've got to have some humility. And I, you know, hear what I'm saying. I know that when I say these words, it sounds like I'm saying you have to compromise. Uh, no, not at all. You never compromise truth. But, you, but, but you, you just have to recognize that what you are to people can, be, can only be expressed if you know that you are that light 
and that everything you say is done in wisdom and in love and humility because that's how Jesus did it. That's how he could take somebody who's shaken up and stir them up. And then their lives change. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to close, I guess, with prayer. Father, thanks for your word again. Just thank you for your word. We weren't left orphans here. You didn't leave us here by mistake. We weren't abandoned. We're here for a purpose. Help us, Father, to set ourselves apart. Help us to stir ourselves up. Help us to stir each other up in love. And then let us do that work that you've called us all to do. We pray in Jesus' name.